the privilege we have to open God's Word together uh, each week. This week we'll be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's page 553 in the Black Bibles, if that's helpful. As you turn there, uh, do you ever talk to yourself? Um, I'm pretty sure that you do because I talk to myself. Uh, I'm thankful there's no continual recording in my office or in the car um, during the week because of some of the things I might say to myself. Um, friend in Iowa, he said, it's okay to talk to yourself, but when you start hearing voices talking back, then you may need a little extra help. Um, but we talk to ourselves. We rehearse things, don't we? Uh, we try to convince ourselves of things. Uh, this is what the, the preacher king of Ecclesiastes, he's no different here. He's talking to himself as we go into chapter 2. And by doing this, he's inviting us to to listen in, um, put ourselves in his position. He's looking for that key, some satisfying, uh, enduring purpose to the few days uh, that are ours that make up our lives. So we're actually going to look at all of chapter 2 this morning, reading sections as we go along. But let me open us in prayer, asking the Lord's help here as we go to his word. Father, we do need your help in these moments at all times, but uniquely in this way as we open your word to us. We need you to teach us. We need you to show us great and wonderful things from your law and show us how we can apply this word. Lord, we uh, are grateful that you have condescended to us, even lisping to us as your children. Lord, make us receptive now uh, to this word. And that you who work all things according to your purpose and your plan, would conform us to the likeness of our Savior. Give us a deeper joy in all that you've given us to do in these few days of life in the flesh. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Classic uh, poem by Shel Silverstein, maybe you'll recognize it. It says, this is where a place where the sidewalk ends. And before the street begins, and there the grass grows soft and white, and there the sun burns crimson bright, and there the moonbird rests from his flight to cool in the peppermint wind. Let us leave this place where the smoke blows black and the dark street winds and bends, past the pits where the asphalt flowers grow. We shall walk with a walk that is measured and slow and watch where the chalk white arrows go to the place where the sidewalk ends. Yes, we'll walk with a walk that is measured and slow. And we'll go where the chalk white arrows go. For the children they mark, and the children they know the place where the sidewalk ends. So you want to go exploring a little bit this morning? Um, that's what we're going to do. Uh, investigate beyond the sidewalk's end. Um, and we may find some fascinating things on our walk here that is measured and slow. Uh, following where these arrows go. Um, 
and uh, very well meet with a preacher of Ecclesiastes who is doing a little bit of investigation on his own here, exploring all that's under the sun. Um, he has set out to test his heart intentionally. I mean, this, this is an experiment, an investigation with all that's beyond the sidewalk. Uh, heart, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to what I've seen and what I've experienced in this life? So it's, it's more of a mental exercise here than anything else uh, to what this preacher has experienced. He keeps his wits about him. Wisdom is guiding him you know, on this experiment. And he's going to learn. We're going to learn along with him um, where all this stuff under the sun takes us, where the good life ends. His test is our test. I think that's important for us as we, as we begin this. Um, we're supposed to reach the conclusion that He does. Um, not go off on our own and say, well, that, you know, that was His experiment. I'm going to try my own experiment and see if things turn out differently. Um, no, the wisdom of this teacher, His exploration taps into our own experience. Um, we can have every confidence of these results. Now, we have a large trunk in the dining area in our house and in this trunk, you open it up and you find all different sorts of games. Games for larger groups, board games. Games that you might expect in an American household. I like Monopoly, Yahtzee, Sorry. Uh, games like that, Trivial Pursuit, I think is in there. Um, but we really don't open the trunk very often anymore. We, we've swapped out some of these games over the years, but most of them have been pretty consistent for a long time. They just don't excite us as much because they're just there. Um, plenty of variation to these games. You could still take out one of these, these oldie but goodie games and, and probably re, you know, have a, a different outcome than, than you've played a different time. Um, they just don't grab our attention anymore. So in this investigation, what, what does the preacher try? What, what games is he pulling out of the trunk that have been the same games available for all of human history and what he pulls out first here is this uh, game of pleasure, entertainment, all the entertainment that life can, can afford. And this is more of the frivolous, uh, self-indulgent type of pleasure uh, and, and pursuits. And the first thing he does, he jumps into the painting with Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, visits Uncle Albert who has a serious condition. Do you remember his condition? I love to laugh, <laughs> long and loud and clear. Right? Uh, laughter. Maybe that's the key. It's laughter. Laughter's fun. Uh, laughing is natural for us. We're made to laugh the things that are you know, surprising and funny. Uh, it can be good for our souls. Here's Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed, and our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Laughter is that language of, of joy. Um, it's a great medicine, but it can't provide an answer to the vanity of life. We can laugh and we shouldn't be laughing. We can laugh at the expense of others, the mistreatment of others. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, ha ha, I'm only joking. Hey, it's only a joke. 
So our laughter cannot heal. It cannot save because laughter needs saving itself. Well, maybe it's a good drink, right? A good drink. How about the best breweries in town? Verse 3. He's going to cheer his body. He's going to explore the effects of wine uh, on his senses. Some of us have tried this experiment where we didn't have our wits about us. Um, But the the preacher king here isn't losing control uh, with with the drink. Uh, But even even if he had been drunk with wine in the past, it doesn't change the results of what he finds. The drink doesn't satisfy. We can certainly enjoy it. The drink is a gift from the Lord, but even in moderation with our senses intact, we're going to be thirsty in just a little while. Jesus, in, in speaking to a group of people who just enjoyed filling their bellies from His gracious hand, He tells them, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So this isn't the food or the drink that's going to be found around here in the best breweries and restaurants and bars the town offers. Only the food that will ultimately satisfy comes from the God of eternity. So what other moves here are there in this game of pleasure? Uh, Maybe it's musical entertainment, sexual pleasure. The two are often closely associated. I was even thinking how the whole rock and roll movement and that genre is undergirded by the pursuit of physical pleasure. Uh, Verse 8. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So the preacher here, the best sound system of the day, before JBL and Bose and Harmon Harmon Cardin, they they actually were live singers that would entertain. Singing melody and harmony. Singing in the courts of the king for others uh, to enjoy and be entertained. What pleasure is that? Music stirs. Our imagination, it stirs our creativity. It speaks to our hearts like very few things in this world will do. Music can bring healing, unity among those who are very different, cross cultures. But within minutes, the song is over and life goes on. Same is true for sexual pleasure. The language here is difficult. The end of verse 8. It could be the royal harem that's in view. Translations differ over this word. It's best understood as as dainties, lovely things, lends itself to the translation we have there. But even with this pleasure at the ready, this intimacy as frequent as one would desire, it cannot satisfy the deepest desires and longings for intimacy that we have. I mean, even the beauty of it, even the beauty and the goodness and the excitement of sexual intimacy within marriage can at times be a place of famine, um, routine streaks that leave us uh, far less than satisfied. I mean, the wonder of physical intimacy, Solomon's not afraid to talk about this at all, next book of the Bible as a case in point. Um, it cannot bring the gain, cannot provide the leftovers that we long for. So, we're bored with the game of, of great pleasure and entertainment Let's go back to this trunk of games, same ones that have been there for a long time. Let's try the game of great works. Uh, Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest 
of growing trees. So the preacher is very creative. He's putting these raw materials to work, putting things under the sun to good use. He's made parks, orchard, pools, places for people to relax, enjoy the beauty of creation. The things that we can create as human beings. I mean, as image bearers of God, we are remarkably creative. We can take wood and rocks and sand and cloth and paper and, and craft beautiful things. I mean, I'm just thinking we're moving into that season of lights, right? And people, you know, we decorate, and the way that we can decorate with lights is mesmerizing in this season. But even this creativity, even in these great works that can encourage and bless those around us, they don't endure. They're not the key that we're searching for. Think of all the great structures, like the, the Roman Colosseum, the Greek Parthenon, or those pyramids in Egypt. The Taj Mahal, the Great Wall of China. The day is coming when no one will remember, not just remember these things, but no one will even know that they were there. The day is coming. Um, Zach Eswine, he makes this powerful point. Human beings can create words of poetry on a page, airplanes, and marvelous towers. But our creativity cannot stop those airplanes from flying into the towers in order to fill out someone else's poetry. Beautiful artwork hanging on the walls that come crashing down. So let's put these works back into the trunk for a moment. Um, Try the great possessions game. Maybe this is it. That one's been in the trunk for a long time too. I bought male and female slaves. Verse 7. Had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. While keeping his wisdom, the preacher has seen and possessed all that money can buy. Every treasure, every investment to increase one's holdings or to increase status or reputation, that's all been available to him. And he still finds it lacking, chasing after wind. How much of our lives is spent chasing after the stuff or, or the better stuff? I mean, in this land where we are more privileged and wealthier than the vast majority uh, of those in this world, and yet we, we seem to be more unhappy, more discontent, more lonely and fearful than so many who possess far less than what we have. That's what Jesus, our Master, tells us in the Gospels. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? The soul, the very heart of man. Infinitely more important than any of the stuff that money can buy. What can truly satisfy the soul cannot be found in possessions. I think this is where our hearts really deceive us. Why we need to hear this this investigation, this exploration, where the good life ends over and over again. Because sin that's playing with us, playing with our hearts, it says this is it. This is the key that you're looking for. You know, great possessions, great works, great, great pleasures. You know, you know that they're not going to last. You know that. You know they're not going to last. But maybe just a little bit more 
will appeal. Maybe just a little bit more will be satisfying. A little bit more wealth. A little bit more pleasure. That will scratch the itch on the soul. But it never does. It never satisfies. At least where there's, there's an honest search. Because at the end of the day, um, we will not have escaped the vanity of life. You know, as we think about the stuff around us, the possessions, all the things that material wealth can buy, Dr. Paul Tripp, he identifies the real problem here. And I think it's what the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is uncovering for us in this investigation. Here's what he says. I'm deeply persuaded that materialism is not a thing, but an awe problem. We cannot control our lust for things because our capacity for awe has been kidnapped. We find it nearly impossible To be content because the vertical awe that produces contentment is not functioning in our hearts the way God intended it to. Only when awe of God is in its rightful place in our hearts will the physical things around us be in their appropriate places in our lives. Living before the face of our God in reverent awe and worship of Him, that puts everything else in its rightful place puts our pleasures, achievements, all our work, all our toil under the sun, puts that in its rightful place, uh, which the preacher here concludes in verse 10 as well as the end of the chapter. So in this investigation beyond the sidewalk where the good life ends, he runs into wisdom again. Compares this where where the wise person ends up and where the the foolish person ends up. Verses 12-16. through Guess what? It's, it's the same place. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So the foolish person, wise person, they end up in the same place. 100% mortality rate for human beings under the sun. Except the wise person gets there with their with their eyes open, gets to the end. Um, They still have those capacities, mental, spiritual uh, faculties about them. But the fool has no idea how they got to the end. Um, So there are advantages to wisdom. And we'd rather walk around in the light, see where we're going, than in the darkness. But because death finds us all, that ultimate profit not there no satisfying answer um, with more and more wisdom so the simple conclusion he makes here is that wisdom is good it can provide some real uh, practical benefits for us wisdom can protect us on this journey under the sun we have all of proverbs uh, as exhibit a of that but the wisdom is not the key death is the end for all. And this grieves the preacher's heart. The wages of sin is death. Okay, we, we have brought this. 
It's not the way it's supposed to be in life under the sun. The Lord Jesus wept at the death of his close friend. Jesus is going to, he's going to eliminate death's grip and power. He's going to reverse the curse. But under the sun, he weeps and despises what death brings. And verse 17 is, is I mean, it hits us, sort of smacks us like the opening of, of the book. Vanity of vanities. Okay, this is where the good life ends. This is where the experiment takes us. So I hated life because of what is done under the sun. It was grievous to me. For all is vanity and is striving after win. Notice he does not say, I hated my life. You know, he's ready to step off a bridge and just end it all. That's not his conclusion. He hated what he had observed. The futility of every one of these keys that he's tried under the sun. If death is the same ending point, then, then any impact, any answer will have to take place before then, before that, that ending point. Any way to distinguish oneself. What has he just done? He's just distinguished himself in, in every way possible. Is it any wonder he feels like this? I know that makes us uncomfortable to, to read language like this. We don't like hate language. We typically try to, to stifle this language in our, our kids or grandkids. But when our younger ones learn that life is not fair, what are the language that they're using? They're using language like this. You know, I hate this. Okay? I hate it. Um, and, and we're using that same language as adults. We're just not saying it. Um, but when we look at the frailty of life, we look at the injustices around us, the pain, the disappointment that ultimately ends in death, we're shouting, this is not fair and I hate it. It's pretty honest. I think it's important for us to see here that there's actually a maturity in this expression, a language of, of lament and just in a way that we're not used to reading it very often. We're used to hearing more like this in Psalm 18. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From His temple, He heard my voice and my cry to Him reached His ears. It's an honest cry to the Lord. A cry that the Lord wants to hear, that He is more than willing to hear and to take. And this is the language, this, you know, I hated life. This is in the Bible for us. So we can be honest before the Lord with the truth's of life in this world um, that he knows full well. So I want let's support each other in this. Let's encourage one another as a church, spur each other on to, to love, to good deeds, to walk in the wisdom of the Lord, but let's not be the fortune cookie Christians who just have to be everything positive, encouraging, because nothing can really get you down or nothing should depress you that much. Nothing bad could happen. I mean, that, there are things that discourage us. We need to be honest about this. Because if that's all we're doing, then it doesn't make this a safe place. Um, wisdom and maturity in the Gospel allows us to go here and find the comfort and hope of our Savior. So we rejoice together. We weep together. So I don't understand this. This makes no sense. Because God holds us together through it all. 
So the preacher makes uh, one more stop, pulls out one more game from this trunk. It's been there forever. We've played it over and over again. The game of our work, our toil. Things just that we're up to from day to day. He doesn't hate the work itself. He comes to a different conclusion, which, which we get to. But it's the fruit of his labors and what happens to it. You know that old phrase, you can't take it with you? It holds up. It holds up. Think of how Jesus illustrated this in the parable in Luke chapter 12. There's a wealthy man. He's worked hard. He's worked wisely. In fact, he has so much stuff he can't store. And so he has to build more uh, larger barns to hold all of this grain. Except he, he missed one important calculation and that's his own life and the brevity of his own life. Okay. And when he dies, someone else is going to get these barns and all that fills these barns who didn't work for it. And that person may be wise with what's left over or they, they may squander it. Remember God's answer to this rich man? Fool. Fool. This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Someone can squander in a moment what someone else has worked their entire life for. I mean, that will keep you up at night when you think about that. Preacher admits it, verse 23. Take the anxiety of our labors to bed with us. Even, even our rest is elusive. So what does rest, where does that come from at night? Or are we just left there you know, with, with this despair? And we're, we're going to draw this to a close the way the preacher concludes. Um, it's not all despair. It's not all hopeless. The end of his experiment here, where the good life ends, puts God back on the scene. The God of eternity is before us. He's involved. He's the one enabling our labors. He's the one who gives us joy and content in our labors. And so the reward is the work itself. By the kindness of God, we can actually enjoy the labors of our days without holding on too tightly to, uh, to the outcome. Verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? It's the providence of God who's placed us here for just a short amount of time. If you eat lunch today, whatever that lunch may be, enjoy it. It's a gift from the Lord. Thank Him for it. You could not be eating or drinking at all. Now, that's a phrase that we're going to read over and over again in Ecclesiastes, reminding us that along the way, there, there, is, there is someone not under the sun who gives satisfaction and joy in the minute by minute of our days. Our God is a God who works, a God who labors, creating, sustaining all things. And He takes great joy in His labors. We go to Genesis 1. And so as image bearers, we do this. We take great joy in our labors, in our earth keeping. Ephesians 2 tells us we've been created for good works that God has prepared for us to do. And so we're given this, this one day in seven to rest from those labors, maybe not all of them, but to rest in God's grace and His saving work on our behalf. The saving 
work of God that puts the rest of these days under the sun in the right perspective. The God of eternity gives meaning, satisfaction to our labor. And so a Sabbath rest, which is ours forever in Jesus, you know, is tasted, it's enjoyed by our one day in seven. So days just like today, a day of, of worship and rest actually pushes back against the frustration. What we're doing here today pushes back against the futility and the vanity that this experiment shows us. What gives rest at night? Knowing we have lived before the face of God and by His grace during the day. May not always look the way we would expect, but His grace gives us joy. Not not just the elusive feelings of happiness all the time. We know that that doesn't describe our days. But joy in our daily labors and, and rest in the night hours. So great possessions, great works, great pleasures of life uh, given by God, but they have their, their purpose. They're not the keys. They cannot satisfy um, our soul the only way that only God can do. Um, so as the preacher discovered from this investigation, if, if we try to use these things as keys, they're only going to disappoint us. Um, they are intended to shift our gaze, to shift our allegiance, our worship to the God of eternity. Living in light of eternity, living in the fear of God, gives every task under the sun meaning. Because God has ordained every season of life. Um, That's where the preacher takes us here in this next chapter. Let's go to the table now, feast upon our Savior, and rest in Him who delights in us, who has labored Uh, for us with His own life. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Your Word. Um, And even as we thought through and prepared this message, there's no guarantee that it would be preached this morning. Um, But You've allowed that to happen. It is Your grace to us, Lord. We are grateful for Your feeding us through this Word the way You feed us at Your table. Lord, shift our gaze, shift our attention, our allegiance, and our worship to You, the Creator, one who has given us the ability to labor. May we find joy in that this day and this, in this week. Joy in the, the good gifts that You've given to us. Knowing they are not the keys to this life, but You have given them to us, that we might know You more. We might bring honor and glory to Your name. Lord, that gives us great meaning and great hope for what the next day holds. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.